Hey there, and welcome to the Leap Podcast. Striving to meet the greatest challenges facing humanity, Leap is a global tech event and a platform for unearthing the minds of some of the most influential people on the planet. Join our conversations as we explore the pivotal role technology has in reshaping our world. Hello, and thank you for tuning in a new episode of One Giant Leap podcast series titled Our Future Belongs to Cities. I'm your host, Besman Dawas, and I'm joined with our special guest, Dr. Jonathan Richentul, a multi-aware winning technology and business leader whose career has spanned both the public and private sectors, where he has served as a chief information officer at both O'Reilly Media and the city of Palo Alto, California. He has written two exciting books on the future of cities, Smart Cities for Dummies and Exploring Smart Cities Activity Book for Kids. It is a pleasure to have you with us today, Jonathan. Thank you very much, Basma. I'm so honored to be with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your books. Sure. Well, I'm a tech guy. I've spent most of my career uh, deep in technology. Uh, So I love the role that technology has played in our organizations and over the last few years, I've got a real bug and a passion for the role that technology plays in our cities. So at core, I'm a guy who likes to understand the role of technology and emerging technologies. I love to see particularly where it has a positive impact, you know, very much yeah. it's about how can we use it for the benefit of people. I'm also an educator. I, I love to educate. Part of my day is uh, usually at least one lecture at a university very much these days online, but also in the classroom. And, you know, I'm helping governments with understanding how they can leverage tech and innovation and new ideas to move their agendas Mm -hmm. forward and and build a better quality of life for their communities. And of course, as you mentioned, I'm very proud of the two books that I've written on the future of cities and uh, continue to be a writer. Now I'm writing my Next book on the future of cryptocurrency, actually. Oh, that's very interesting. I'm really looking forward to see that one out. So, Jonathan, you are passionate about smart cities, and this is kind of your expertise area. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes a city smart? You know, I think that cities are the big project for humanity for the 21st century. You know, we are an urban planet, right? The majority mm-hmm. of humans live in planet, uh, live in the cities, and <laughs> over the next 20, 30 years. That'll grow to 60, 70, 80% as we head towards the end of the the century. Uh, So, you know, we have a real obligation uh, and an urgency to to make sure that our cities uh, are serving uh, everybody and and increasing the quality of life for everyone. Uh, It's in cities that, you know, we're causing a lot of the uh, carbon emissions that's contributing towards climate change. And and so it's where we're going to fix or at least stabilize uh, carbon emissions and hopefully uh, manage, uh, you know, the climate emergency through the 21st century. Uh, so cities are really important. Our future does belong uh, to cities. So those cities that have a strategy, right, who uh, deliberately say, uh, we're going to adopt technology, we're going to think differently, uh, we're going to use data, uh, mm-hmm. we're going to engage our community, we're going to make sure that we're focusing on things like cybersecurity and at the end of the day, never lose sight of the focus on humans and on the human experience. Those cities that do that are getting smarter and more sustainable every day. And this is a deliberate decision. Uh, now, the movement is growing and more and more cities are getting on board. You know, city leaders, they recognize, hey, you know what? It's going to be new technology, Internet of Things devices, 
It's going to be uh, the man better management and leveraging of data. It's going to be quickly being able to respond to new phenomena like autonomous vehicles and the emergence of artificial intelligence in our environment. These cities are getting better. So, you know, when you look around the world, there's a re relatively still small set of cities that this is their central mission. Uh, they, yeah. they have really made innovation the, the core of their agenda, focusing on quality of life for their people. Those cities are getting smarter. The, you know, I, I say something a little bit funny, tongue in cheek in the book, in, in my Smart Cities for Dummies book. I say there will never be a smart city. And, and you know, the, you know I, I, I immediately respond by saying, wait a minute, that makes no sense. What <laughs> yeah. I mean by that is, <laughs> what I mean by that is, it is a constant quest. Cities really are never finished. Right. So it, it's a journey. You know, I, I, when you ask me what, you know, what, what is a smart city? It's those cities that are on that journey that are getting results, that are getting good outcomes, that are improving the quality of life of the people using technology, using technology at the core in a really positive way. So we're talking about smart cities now, but like, how do you vision the world we live in in the future? Um, what are we going to witness Well, it depends where, when the future is. So if we say, if you asked me, you know, what's going to be like in 10 years versus 50 versus 100, these will be different. Uh, you know, the things will be different in these different uh, time uh, horizons. You know, nothing changes that fast in, in cities over, you know, 10 years. Uh, the, the changes happen, but they're subtle. We will begin to see some bigger, more impactful differences when we look out you know, over a few decades and, and beyond. Number one, we're going to see uh, mostly autonomous vehicles. You know, mm -hmm. humans won't be driving cars around communities anymore. Uh, you know, the trucks and the cars and the uh, other types of vehicles will, will all be driving themselves. Um, and that in of itself changes our cities. It changes how we think about city planning. You know, do we need traffic lights and stop signs? Do we need lanes? Do we need the grid system? You know, think about our road systems today and our, and our support for cars. In some communities, it's about 60% of the, of the land is just for cars. That's right. Um, yeah. It's wild, right? And so, you know, as that, and that was because we needed to build the environment for humans that drive cars, right? But if, if cars drive themselves, it really uh, changes, changes the game. I think there will be a greater emphasis on green spaces and what we call healthy cities. Uh, so today, you know, too much of our cities are made up of, of roads and, and parking lots and, and the built environment. And, and when you look at cities, like you look at what's happening, what's going to happen in the center of Paris, or you look at what happened in Times Square, where we're, we're converting these major arteries uh, from uh, places just for, you know, cars and vehicles to back to people, you know, making them into urban gardens. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we'll we'll see a lot more of that phenomena. Like, you know, will how many people will be working from home? How many people will have you know uh, made different sort of lifestyle choices within cities about how they live? You know, the the manner in which they live, uh, you know, and how we build homes around that. Uh, I think is all subject to change. So th these are just some of the I think notable areas that will happen. You know, in a few decades. So, yeah, the urban development and landscape will really change uh, significantly, you're saying, in the next, um, let's say, few decades. Um, however, are there any game-changing technologies that would really have the potential to reshape our future development? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, the, one of the most important emerging technologies right now is everything that falls under the artificial intelligence uh, umbrella. Mm -hmm. And... You know, we already see AI baked into so much of our lives, right? It tells us you know, how to get from, you know, from from home to the supermarket or the friend, your friend's house or something on our GPS. 
you know, it helps yeah. us with, you know, making sure we don't get spam email uh, or at least reduces it. We can talk to our home assistant at home now and, and call up music or dim the lights in our house or uh, change the temperature. So we see AI baked into a lot of our life already, but it's only the beginning. And what we're going to see is artificial intelligence very much be part of all aspects of our world. So the city becomes a place where AI is used and it's a place where it's more responsive. So when you are applying for government service, you, you have some sort of interaction online. Hopefully it's digital because that's where we're headed. Yeah. And you're using your smartphone or your smartwatch or whatever the the connected devices du jour of that time, it will be augmented in a, in a very intense way by by AI. You will probably find that many of the services that you used to dealing with people will be just through a very smart agent that that is empowered by by AI. That will be a very different experience. It hopefully means you'll get a service quicker, you'll get the information you need faster with less errors. Hopefully it brings the cost down of delivering services. That will change. I think we'll also see things like much higher use or a lot of use of drones, both in the sky and also mm-hmm. um, on the sidewalks and on our roads. Today, we, we don't see so much. We see a lot of experimentation, but drones are coming. They're coming in a really big way you know, for deliveries of all, all shapes and sizes. You know, we, we thought it was cool to have you know, uh, a one-day delivery, and then we thought it was cool to have half-day, and then, and then one-hour delivery. Perhaps we'll have delivery right, in a few yeah. minutes you know, <laughs> because of yeah. drones. Um, and I just think the last item worth mentioning in sort of the state-of-the-art category is uh, the degree to which we'll use the Internet of Things. You know, today there are 35 billion connected things. Within the next four years, it's anticipated we'll go up to about 75 billion connected things. If it can be connected, it seems like we're going to connect it. And the biggest use in the short term, at least over the next few years, of Internet of Things, connected devices on the Internet, is going to be the city, uh, the city yeah. domain. And and so you'll see IoT devices for uh, better traffic signal systems, for managing air quality and things like water leaks, even helping with public safety. So we will be using a, a lot of IoT technology. We already are but it's going to explode in the years ahead. Great. While you're saying that, I, I could imagine things flying and no roads and <laughs> autonomous vehicles and everything. So that's, yeah, let's see if we're going to witness that. So with all of those technologies, uh, obviously with technology comes privacy, comes security. How will we overcome the rising privacy and security in the future? Yeah, no, you, you asked the question in the right way because the the privacy and cybersecurity challenges are increasing right now. We're, we're in some ways we're headed in the wrong direction. You know, as, as more and more technology gets deployed to our city environment, uh, that increases the what we call attack vectors. You know, the the entry points by which uh, you know bad people can do can do bad things. Um, the Internet of Things, for example, with the the, the very phenomenon I just share with you. You know, while that comes with a lot of advantages, can also be a manner in which uh, cities can be attacked and are are being attacked. Um, more and more of city services are digital. Therefore, again, uh, greater just landscape for, unfortunately, for attacks. How do we overcome that? Well, f- on the privacy end of things, that's really a, a policy decision. We certainly have to decide, you know, what we're going to secure and what uh, is okay to share. What I discovered working in cities for a long time and having been a city leader for a long time is that a lot of city data, by the way, is not private. It is what we call it's public data. It, you know, it's mm-hmm. stuff that we've already decided in many of our cultures and societies 
is not uh, is not necessarily uh, protectable. So we have to have a model of privacy that prioritizes some data over other data. And then we have to do a great job of both the policy and also the technology uh, to protect that. Um, cities have to make greater investments in their cybersecurity. Again, it's a good news story in that uh, many cities are increasing their investments, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a bad news story uh, as in they're, they're a little slow and they're not spending enough. Um, they have to make it a priority. We have too many examples of major attacks on cities like in Atlanta, Georgia, here in the US, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, in Baltimore, Maryland, also a major city here in the US where systems were attacked, ransomware was used, and major services were not available uh, to the community. So in summary, each city and each culture needs to decide uh, from a policy perspective uh, how we approach privacy. That's a very important discussion to have in a set of agreements. Uh, and then as a second step, um, you know, you can't, these have to be in parallel to, to some degree, yeah. uh, making greater investments in the hardware and software um, and training that's required for for protecting cities. I'll make one more comment because I know you like the the emerging future stuff. Um, there is a, a very interesting space that's beginning to get um, some traction um, mm-hmm. for for cybersecurity, and it's it's in the realm of of uh, quantum computing. Um, you know, qu- quantum computing really is, is is such an incredible multi trillion dollar opportunity over the next few decades to sort of almost refresh the entire computing stack of the world. And it's based on the nature of physics at the very small works. It's a wonderful, maybe in a future podcast, we'll talk about it. But we're, you know, as scientists and researchers, we're, we're working on uh, trying to leverage, uh, you know, the, the, this, uh, what we, this quantum physics for a foundation for a new information theory. It's working very well. Companies like IBM, Microsoft, Google, and others are already have working uh, quantum computers. But part of the research that's emerging is this idea of quantum cryptography and something called a quantum internet. You know, they're a few years out. Quantum cryptography has some very basic applications already for security. But if we get it right and we are able to uh, manifest the research and the innovation, uh, quantum cryptography and the quantum internet may be exceptionally secure. I, I never want to say totally secure because, yeah. you know, I get slapped on the wrist by my yeah. security folks uh, and friends. Uh, but it gets us to a really good place. So that that's an exciting area to, to take a look at. Wonderful. And again, like if we are going to live in a more connected, autonomous world, you know, what drawbacks that we need to take into account? Look, I, I say this all the time. We have to be focused on people. We have to make sure that uh, all the important work that that is happening around the world to improve our cities uh, has to always have a laser focus on outcomes uh, for humans. It's possible that, you know, in our in our zeal to deploy new technologies, we we actually uh, create a, a bit of a digital divide, you know, between those that are savvy with tech and those that perhaps don't have as much tech in their lives. I'm talking about people maybe that are much older. Uh, and, you know, so we've got to continue to provide services that are available for everyone. You know, that that's one of the learnings I got from working in, in a government for a long time is you don't get to choose your customers like you do in the private sector. You know, you actually have to serve everybody. You have to serve everyone, you know, children, teenagers, family, yeah, workers, citizens, basically. Oh, everyone. Yeah. And so that means that you have to take into account different needs. Um, so we, we, we need to do this in a way that we don't create more digital division. We also need to make sure that people are connected. 
you know, there, there is a risk that as the advantages of digital become clear, and they are clear, right, that there isn't a segment of society that isn't prospering. You know, that would be terrible. We still today, even in the United States, in, in places like the capital of Silicon Valley here in San Jose or in the, the major city of New York City, there are still more than one would like of people who ha- either have no internet access, which is not acceptable, to have slow. You know, there's people with dial-up. Can you believe it? In 2021, there's people still with dial-up. These are risks. These are risks that we get ahead of ourselves and we can we, we create a even more dangerous digital divide that uh, doesn't fulfill our aspirations to make a more beautiful life and a better quality of life for more people. And Jonathan, do you think there's, um, I always hear cognitive cities, cognitive cities. Is there a difference between smart and cognitive cities? Yeah, no, you're, you're right to ask that question. In the smart city space, or let's say, I think a better way to think about this is perhaps the future of cities, right? We, we've already, I think I've made the point that Cities are, are, as Tim O'Reilly has said, you know, the grand project of humanity in the 21st century. You know, there's a lot in there. There's things like having healthier cities. Uh, There's things like uh, having more digital cities, more inclusive cities, uh, regenerative cities, you know, where where we uh, where, where we're actually focused on uh, uh, living in harmony with nature in in, in, in our cities. Um, And then there's this idea of cognitive cities. So they're all, you know, to me, they are all parts of this broader phenomenon of how do we just make uh, our urban centers uh, better? You know, how, how do we make it more sustainable? How do we create better quality of life? Really key. Cognitive cities, that element is, you know, the, the idea that cities are learning from the community. They're using technologies that help the city evolve through uh, sort of this 24-hour, 24-7 uh, gathering of, of data and insights about uh, uh, human behavior. And, and it can be as simple as, for example, when cities operate, uh, they collect and store uh, massive amounts of data. And cities are getting better at analyzing that data and, and responding. So, you know, if there's, if there's a uh, consistent complaint that is coming through, for example, through the through the data, perhaps the city should be responding to that complaint. There's a, a very successful vendor uh, that, that's doing good work called Zen City. And mm-hmm. Zen City is in the space of something called sentiment analysis. Well, that's part of what they do, sentiment analysis. How can we tap into, for example, all the content that's in social media, the content that's in emails, you know, all of that kind of unstructured data that's been collected uh, billions of times every day from community members? How can we make sense of it as cities and then respond to it? Mm-hmm. You know, so if you if you apply some really great tech to all this insight that's there, but we don't aren't paying much uh, enough attention to it. If we do pay attention to it, how can the city evolve more rapidly? How can it make sure it's more focused on the needs of the community? So that's what cognitive cities are all about. I don't think them. I don't think of them as a separate strategy, but a choice being part of a broader future future of cities smart strategy for any community. It's got to be a choice that 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 city makes. Makes sense. Jonathan, you will be speaking at LEAP. So why don't you tell us about what you will be presenting on and why is LEAP a must-attend event? Sure. Well, I, I, I'm just so honored to, to be asked to be part of LEAP in, in, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in, in February 2022. I'm going to be there talking certainly about cities, I imagine. Uh, that seems to be a place where I can add value, but also broader tech. You know, I, I plan to 
to share insights on a whole range of emerging technologies from the role of IoT, AI, and blockchain, and more in, in a variety of contexts, and, and, and with a uh, with certainly with a focus uh, at times on, on the future of cities. Um, so this is in line with the, the spirit of this uh, really uh, fabulous tech event um, that is uh, about technology for good. You know, it's, it's about, you know, how do we ensure, how do we make the right decisions in the years ahead to ensure that our, our, our uh, breakthroughs, which are going to happen more frequently, are all about uh, improving the outcomes for, for humans everywhere, no matter where you are. And I think this is a, a worthy mission. And we need platforms. We need platforms like Leap. We need to bring people together. Uh, we've learned, you know, through through the pandemic that there's a role for virtual, but there's also a role, a role for having people be in a place and the the serendipity and the and the commitments that are made when people are together. We need that too. I think it's a great context because, you know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is has got this really sort of notable, optimistic future vision for not only their country, but the region and the world, you know, how we uh, use technology for good and how we build cities in a completely new way. Again, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has NEOM, probably what will become the largest construction project on the planet in the years ahead, uh, creating this phenomenal new urban area in the northwest region of the kingdom. And, you know, that that is a model for the future of humanity. I'm so thrilled to be part of Leap. I think it's an important event in an important part of the world, and it's focused on the right things. So it, it, it's going to be, I think, a, a notable event on the 2022 calendar, and I'm, I'm just uh, excited and, and thrilled to be part of it. Thank you so much, Dr. Jonathan, for your time and valuable insights, and we really look forward to hosting you in Leap in Saudi Arabia. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Basma. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If there's a topic you're passionate about and want to bring to the table, feel free to send us your suggestions. And don't forget to subscribe to stay tuned for all things LEAP. Until next time.